Hello, my name's Gizzy Erskine. And I'm Sydney Lima, and this is Sex, Lies and DM Slides. Where we invite our celebrity friends to dive deep into their DM boxes to see what terrors lurk within. We'll be chatting about online trolls, online dating, perverted proposals and why everyone's so weird on social media. Sex and Lies and DM Slides. This podcast contains adult content, graphic details of our sex lives and the filthy contents of our inboxes. You have been warned. Hello, I'm Gizzy Erskine. And I'm Sydney Lima. And welcome back to our Spotify original podcast, Sex, Lies and... DM Slides. Where we chat about sex and love in the age of social media. Now today we've got on a seriously special guest. Someone who, uh, God, we get to interview maybe the ultimate... Tell them who it is, Gizzy. Uh, (laughs) It's Ruby Wags. Now Ruby is a comedian. She's a best-selling writer, mental health campaigner and lecturer. She has a master's in mindfulness from Oxford, an OBE, possibly the most incredible presenter. I guess even with what we're trying to achieve in this would be something of her style. I mean, she kind of, you know, our heroes... People like John Ronson and I thought um, you were about to talk about the people she interviewed being yeah, our heroes. Uh, I don't think our Trump's like our Donald hero. Trump. <laughs> <laughs> and OJ Simpson. Um, yeah, we've been watching those interviews all week. Yeah, they're definitely not our heroes. But no. you know, the people who we do love, like John Ronson and Louis Theroux, I mean, they, mm. without shadow of a doubt, took techniques off of this lady. So, and um, she also has a book coming out. She does. She does. So, so it's called Now for the Good News to the Future with Love. And it's basically about how to stop living in such a climate of fear and teaching us to turn our attention to the possible and the positive, which I think we need plenty of at the moment, don't we? Yeah, it sort of summarises how we access the internet as well, which is why we wanted her on. Yeah. So one of the great things about Ruby is that her main sort of, I guess her vocation at the moment is to look at mental health and also how it correlates within social media. And obviously that's really critical for the sort of investigative stuff we're trying to achieve Mm. here. And you've actually got quite a lot to say about this today. I do, I do, I do. I've basically recently been going through a bit of a breakup, which I didn't know I was having a breakup. Didn't you? (laughs) 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 No, because like, it was like miscommunication breakup. It was. Miscommunication breakup. It was. And basically, anyway, I've got to that point where I'm, uh, he's blocked me. Um, He's blocked me? He's blocked (laughs) everyone. He knows me. And I've basically got this secret Instagram account, which I've been kind of checking like who he's been following and who's been following him. Right. And then I saw that he was following this like kind of supermodel. I was like, that's that's a bit out of, yeah. I was like, where did he meet her? It's been locked down. And then I had like a huge breakdown and like managed to conjure up this whole story about how they were like having like the best time and all this stuff. And then I had a, huge emotional breakdown yesterday oh, i was gonna call you but you know i didn't <laughs> first time <laughs> uh, yeah no i don't know i kept it to myself and then of course i find out like four hours later after doing all my delving and researching that she actually has a boyfriend who she lives with so it's fine but it kind of brought up that whole thing of like how you can create these narratives around people on social media and how it can have like such a negative effect in your head i take the exes anybody who hasn't been through something like that yeah. it's part of the process these days mm. of breaking up with someone mm. is actually using your detective skills to try and gauge what's going on with yeah. someone's life and god and sometimes, the you, sometimes you absolutely nail it you know your detective skills are on point 
But I'm sure often you're just like fantasizing about these really awful extreme situations. And yeah. thank God within what, four hours? You've I know, four hours. Full circle. But I, I went to the gym in between those four hours. So like, I was like, at the gym and then like thinking about it the whole time. And I had my phone like just like going off in the corner with all my friends with their detective skills being like, I've just found out. And oh, then, but God, I spoke. So you got your own, own little like detective yeah, I've got my crew. little hub. <laughs> and I spoke to this guy who about it because I was like, wanted a guy's kind of opinion about when you have a breakup and like kind of start following people. And does it mean if you're does it mean you're shagging them immediately mm. and he was like it's probably one of those things where when guys break up with people they then go through the people that follow them on instagram see the hottest girl and then follow them back to like kind of get them to be into them kind of thing oh Basically, god like, that's depressing yeah it's such a yeah anyway I mean, anyway a toxic male producer hayden oh, he's yeah. just pointing at himself going <laughs> i do that <laughs> so hayden have you ever made a fake account so you can follow a girlfriend an ex-girlfriend no, he says He's no. such a liar. <laughs> I don't believe that for one second. I actually, but he does I follow back any fit girl that follows him, which is just like, <laughs> apparently it's just an ego boost thing, but I just assume that everyone's fucking then. What's the terminology which, which where you're, somebody's like an ex or someone is keeps popping up into your stories or something and you know that they're watching what you're doing? It's not breadcrumbing, is yeah, it? Yeah, it is. It is no, it's breadcrumbing. Bread, no, breadcrumbing is when you basically, you kind of string someone along by like liking things and then not necessarily like asking you to go out for dinner, but like just liking things all the time. Yeah, That's yeah, what yeah, I yeah. do. Do you do that? <laughs> haunting. It's, oh, it's called haunting. Oh God, it is quite haunting. So yeah, I'm, I do you know what I get the most is where if I start going out with someone, I can see someone's ex haunting me. Oh yeah, because obviously yeah, I've yeah. checked out the ex. I've First thing to do, yeah, <laughs> check out the ex. Um, I don't have a fake Instagram account, but I do do the stalking, and then I tend to do it through other friends' Instagram accounts. So I can go in. I'm like, I'm having a phone, yeah. for the next hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> this is mine. But I have found out some awful stuff like that. Mm. I saw. I remember seeing uh, one of my exes in Glastonbury with this girl who looked like SpongeBob. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way, and then um, towards the end of the weekend, there was definitely way. And it's it's mad how much how far you can go with that. I know. Anyway, anyway. So talking to Ruby was really interesting because she is probably one of the primary female figures doing this this kind of interviewing technique. And she got to interview some of the biggest psychopaths in the world, sort of Trump, Bill Cosby, O.J. Simpson, and you know these people were challenging. And as a woman, she really stood up for herself within her femininity, which I really respect. And now she's got her master's in mindfulness. And so she's really sort of pushing towards how social media and mental health sit side by side, which is kind of what we spent the, most of the time talking about. Uh, yeah, I've got to say, we recorded this in lockdown. So there was a few technical hitches, a few, uh, well, her husband pops in at one point, <laughs> trying, to help, trying to help her rewire her modem, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but without further ado, here's Ruby Wax. And lies. DM slides. Hey, Hi, Ruby. Ruby. How are Hi. you? Uh, girl, what's the new word besides fine? I'm sure it starts with an F. <laughs> well, I mean, lockdown is it's quite something. How is yours going? Well, because I run these, you know, I run my Frazzle cafes twice a day. Yeah. It gives me a reason to get up in the morning. Absolutely. And then I see about 100 people each time talking and I think, oh, God. So you're doing a... Hundred people you're dealing with in Frazzled Cafe twice a day. Good, God. twice a day. So, Ruby, what exactly is Frazzled Cafe? Well, we started Frazzled three years ago or something, and they were a genuine cafes in real cafes up and down the country, and they would meet with a facilitator, right? Somebody holding the meeting, and then they meet every two weeks. So they had their little community that had their backs, 
And now because of this, we go online, but it's extraordinary because a hundred people come on and they get a chance to say what's going on and other people are listening and then they care. And people love that when everybody really cares about them. And then they break into small groups so they get to know each other and it just works. And I feel better. It makes me feel better about my life. It's like a, thera- a therapeutic cafe. No, no, there's no therapy. Uh-uh. <laughs> right. No, this is just frazzled like you, like me. And it's like <laughs> without any bullshit, you can say what's going on. You know, like you're with your family. A lot of these people say, oh, I have to put on a mask, like everything's okay. And here they can talk. So Ruby, how do you, because you've been speaking a, a, about your own struggles with mental health for a while now. And how do you feel the debate has changed in the past few years? Well, when I started doing my shows 15 years ago, you know, about why we're frazzled and what I meant by frazzled, I didn't make up that expression. It means when we're getting stressed about stress, when we bump Mm -hmm. it up, it's not like we're being carpet bombed or you're being mugged. You're imagining it like somebody didn't call you back Mm -hmm. or I'm not good enough. That's a contemporary illness. And I mean, I could go into why that is, but I'm just telling you it is. And so when I did that show, it came out that I had a mental illness So I had to kind of acknowledge it. And then in the second half of that show, I had the audience stand up. Now, they weren't mentally ill, but people are frazzled. There's no argument. Otherwise, there wouldn't be so much burnout. And they would stand up. And I don't remember a whole audience standing up. But now when I do shows, and even if it's big, like a 1,000, you have to shut people up because everybody wants to be heard and everybody wants to say, am I okay or am I alone on this? So that's why Frazzle Cafes work online because people want to talk. I mean, you, you said earlier that you didn't really refer to it as therapy, but it's therapeutic. I mean, it's obviously a safe space where people can get them their sort of feelings and stuff out. And Yeah, yeah. But that's not because I'm doing therapy. Yeah. Yeah. So therapeutic they're talking. as opposed to therapy. And therapeutic. Like... Yeah. And Ruby, what's your, is it based at all on your own experience with therapy? No, I mean, you know, I had therapy for thousands of years <laughs> and I think some therapy is really good to get a story together right, of what happened to you. But if you keep repeating it, you start believing it. Mm. And a memory is like a photocopy. And then you bore people Mm. shitless, can I say, (laughs) at dinner parties going, you know what Mm. my mother did? Well, okay, (laughs) get over it. But but you know, it's actually really revolutionary. I mean, you must be one of the first women particularly to have come out and been so open and honest about your mental health. And I suppose since then, there has been a huge influx in how people look at things and perceive things. Oh, you mean am I Christopher Columbus for a mental illness? <laughs> yeah, I'm the, first, I'm the first person to set shore on the foothills of insanity. Yeah. So um, your love life, like, are we allowed to talk about your love life? Sure, I might go in another room. <laughs> Can you hold on? <laughs> Come yeah. on, this is exactly Ed- the stuff we okay. want. So you, Ed is your husband or...? He's your yeah, third husband. Yeah, but the other two, it's, my love life isn't that interesting. I was wild, but not sexually, which is interesting. Same here, Ruby. I've been really? the least promiscuous person I know. Hardly slept with anyone. It's the biggest regret in life, actually. Me too, and nobody ever picked me up. Like, maybe I didn't have sex appeal. Nobody ever hit on me. But that's bullshit. No, I swear to God, I've gone back and checked. <laughs> Some of them said I was scary, which I don't buy. Once I hitchhiked across America on my own, then I went to a private airport and hitched a ride to San Francisco, but nobody ever hit on me. I don't believe it. I don't believe it either, but I think there's something about the sort of like vivacious, characterful, clever, intelligent woman that scares the man, I think. Yeah, I'm going to stick with that one. (laughs) I had to ask Ed to marry me. 
I said, I can marry you <laughs> April 15th because I have an opening. But after that, I booked completely. And I said, and there's a whole queue of men really interested. And he's, he didn't know that nobody was interested. I'm yeah. taking notes, by the way. We've been watching some of your uh, very iconic interviews quite obsessively over the past few weeks. And you've basically interviewed okay. some of the world's biggest pricks. <laughs> it's true. I know. I know I did. <laughs> I mean, I just want, I think we need to reiterate, like, some of the big people that you did interview are, like, O.J. Simpson, mm. Bill Cosby, Donald Trump. Yeah, those are some big pricks. <laughs> All of which have ended up in jail, except one of them ended up the president. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, I did interviews over 25 years, so some of them were gorgeous. And then a prick would come along. You know, I mean, the chances are pretty high they're going to come along, so I'm lucky. I only had it down to a few. But um, OJ was actually friendlier than Trump. <laughs> yeah, Wasn't so. he? he was open. But I mean, he was a psychopath. Yeah, he seemed pretty mad when he was speaking in the car. Yeah. Wasn't he talking about spunking on sheets in prison or something? Yeah, and Scientology, and that Ron Hubbard said, you don't even have to do it because you're already Jesus. You know, there were indications that he wasn't right in the head. There were indications. And also, you know, teasing me and saying, that's where the knife is. Yeah. But it was overt craziness. When I got with Trump, it was like a wild animal, and I didn't know how to handle it. He got me. I was nervous. So it wasn't a great interview. Whereas OJ, I felt right at home with. I saw uh, an, uh, something you did on your own YouTube channel and it was a reviewing of your interview you did with Madonna. And you said that was a very, very bad interview for you and you pulled up on a, quite a few of what you deemed mistakes. Do you find it harder interviewing women at all? No, I find it easier interviewing women, way easier. But with her, I couldn't crack it. You know, some women are more like men and some men are more like women. It's not just, you know... Who's got what genitals? She was tricky. <laughs> it was not worth an interview. I mean, I was going to say, like, I, that must have been pre-learning about sort of actually going into mental health as a next sort of career. It must have been a real great study looking at the psychopaths and sociopaths of the world. Well, there was only three, you know. There was Trump, OJ, and uh, who was the last prick? <laughs> Bill Cosby. One. <laughs> oh, <laughs> one of the oh, yeah. Biggest. Oh, that's a huge prick. Yeah. So I didn't have that many sociopaths. But you actually got to interview Cosby before any of the rape allegations came out. Mm. How was he? He was an asshole. <laughs> Is this a bad show to say this on? No, it's the best. This is what we want. <laughs> yeah, no, he got, I got there and he, um, you know, he was just one of those bullies. And everybody yeah. didn't like him. He was a bully. He wasn't this jovial... <laughs> you know, sweetness and light. So I knew he was nuts. How long did you spend with him? Well, when I did interview shows, I'd like spend mm. days with people. So with OJ, yeah. we spent three days. With Trump won because he threw me out of the plane. <laughs> so it wasn't long. Um, <laughs> Explain that to the people who might not have seen that. What happened? Oh, I got on his private jet and he said that he wanted to be president of the United States and I laughed. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> and so he said, I want her off the plane. So he threw me and my crew off this plane and we ended up in Arkansas. So I made a whole film about what Arkansas was like, which is a great film. And then we found him again. We found him at the end. And then he liked me. So you, it's like you passed a test with him almost and he then took to you. No, there was a moment we had alone in a car and he told me what he thought about women, and I didn't, I could be as crude as he was. He thought I was one <laughs> of the guys. What Oh, how he likes to, uh, you know, what he likes to do with them. He was just being yeah. a guy, a gross guy. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard it before. It was nothing original. <laughs> You've studied psychology. Uh, what do you make of someone like Trump? 
through your own professional assessment? Well, I, it's not mine. Everybody with half a brain yeah. knows like he's a narcissist, <laughs> you know. It's like if somebody had one leg, you'd know they were an amputee. It's not a secret. Yeah. So his mental mm. state is as obvious as having no legs. But everybody ignores the elephant in the uh, White House. I'm just curious as to if he's got sort of how orange he was and how his hairline was. Oh, his hair was like, it wasn't roadkill then. It was, <laughs> you know, Mr. Whippy? <laughs> like you take a nose hair and wind it around your head. That's what I used to say. And that's what he had, one <laughs> hair. You've interviewed your fair share of narcissists and psychopaths, but have you ever dated any? No, I don't think so. I dated a lot of gay guys, so they're not narcissists. They're just fun. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> One guy I think maybe was, but he was French, so, you know, who knows? Maybe he was French. Maybe he was <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Ruby, I read um, that through your parents, you kind of came to connect sex with spite when you were growing up. Oh, I didn't know that. Did you not say that? <laughs> Did I write that? I wrote that the book is called How Do You Want Me? And there is a chapter on sex. So How Do You Want Me is my autobiography. And that's about my parents and about sex and about, you know, the whole thing. And Carrie Fisher edited it, and she said at the time that my parents were almost as crazy as her. So that's called How Do You Want oh. Me? I love that you and Carrie Fisher were friends. Yeah, that bonded for 30 years. How did you guys meet, can I ask? I interviewed her, and then we fell in love. Oh. Um, so she said that you had the weirdest family she'd ever, ever no. heard about. No, no, hers was weirder, <laughs> but mine were up there. Really? So that's, Gosh. yeah, that was kind of a compliment in a way. <laughs> I mean, are you empathetic towards your family? Because your, your parents actually escaped Nazi Germany, right? Yeah, I am now. Yeah. You know, because they showed me what happened. But they never mm. mentioned it. And I say at the end, if they had said any of this to me, I would have forgiven them. Right. So, do you, I mean, like, essentially, do you think that they had, they had undiagnosed PTSD or? Oh, no, they had undiagnosed everything. But yeah. nothing was diagnosed in those days. No, I mean, listen, I can empathise. My father would be 100 now and he was bipolar or what would have known him as manic depressive. And, you know, both my sister and I have afflictions and I've been medicated since I was a teenager. And then, you know, my evolution of that has, you know, informed a series of issues. Yeah. But actually, that's it. It's having known. I mean, he wouldn't even acknowledge it. My, we had a family doctor who told me when I got diagnosed, but my father had died by that stage. But it kind of suddenly meant... The clarity you got from that information is so huge. Yeah, nobody ever told me that something was wrong with him. And that's mm. why it's so uh, devastating because you're an only child, so you assume everybody's parents are like that. You know, I thought that's normal. That's the dangerous bit. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And also, as a kid, you think it's your fault. So that's where you start um, absorbing their illness, is that you don't want the people that feed you to be sick. So that's how a kid catches it, is that... He or she says, oh, it must be me. And then you become ill. That's how it's yeah, passed. I can if you have the genes. If you don't have the genes, well. you're fine. So is it genetic then? Nobody knows. It's genes and experience. Mm. Like if you don't have the genes for it, yeah. you're not going to get it no matter what. So you can't just say somebody was traumatized. Because if they don't have the genes for it, they won't be. Mm. But if you do have the genes and then you have a bad experience, chances are high. Where is your sort of psychological... Do you have your own sort of way of looking at how this is or do you kind of look at it as more Freudian or...? No, I, I do mindfulness. Will you, will you completely explain mindfulness in, a, in an intellectual Completely. Level? We hear the word mindfulness sort of flitted about so often. I mean, what does it mean in the intellectual sense? Well, I liked it 
I, and I, I went to learn about it at Oxford because of the science, but I like the fact that you're taking the brain that's bubbling away with high stress hormones and you're learning to, if you focus on a sense, any of your senses, you can't have that gabbling brain and sensing something at the same time. So you're training your brain to pull focus to a sense, okay? And then it flips back up to the gabbling and down. And the more you do that, you exercise a part of your brain that helps you pay attention. So when the mm -hmm. shit hits the storm, you're able to focus easier. It's like going to the gym and doing weights. I may lose my temper, but I can get my stress hormone down fast because I practice this stuff. Yeah. Doesn't mean your mind is blank. It's just so when the thoughts come in, like I'm an idiot, I, you know, everybody knows I'm a failure. They don't have so much sting, but that's by practicing. Mm. I've really struggled with mindfulness. It's really been hard to get into it. Because were you trying to do something? Well, I've, I, I've, I suffer from quite a lot of panic attacks and I know that's exactly what I'm meant to be doing is, is practicing kind of mindfulness. And I also used to do a lot of meditation. But breaking that kind of cycle and getting back into it is really overwhelming for some reason. If it's not for you, don't do it. Yeah. You know, it's like not everybody can do yoga. Yeah. Your thoughts aren't pleasant. I wake up in the morning, mm. you know, even if you do it for two minutes and you see the, literally the shit show. But when you see it, you kind of, you know, pull your focus to your breathing or whatever. It'll pull you up into the shit show. Mm. But gradually when you're going up and down, you think, wait a minute, if I don't, grab on and buy this information that I really am a jerk. The thoughts change every two mm. seconds anyway. I mean, I, last night I was lying in bed, sort of thinking about this interview and thinking about mindfulness and how I approach this sort of stuff. And I, I've been sort of a very pro-medication person because I need it for my... I'm um, a medication issues. person too. Okay, so brilliant. Now, the thing that slightly concerns me more and more is the sort of reliance on certain medications that I really would prefer because there are certain things ADHD for example I've managed to come off by using sort of high strength fish oils for example and it, but at the moment during lockdown I'm absolutely like the most ADHD I think I've ever been and I, I can't focus on anything but I've again tried to sort of focus on that mindfulness ideology and the main reason I want to do it is to bring the chemistry in my body down and I know that that's the capabilities are like that, but I just really cannot do it. How do I get into that zone? It's really frustrating because I want to, I don't have to take certain medications. Well, I take medication. You, If you have a disease, you have to take medication. Yeah. I don't know if, you know, high anxiety needs medication, but if you're bipolar, you better be on it. Absolutely. Yeah. I know, I know. I, I mean, I, I have a, acute biological anxiety and I'm medicated for that and I'm always going to be on that. That's my medication that I love. Yeah. But ADHD, being on Ritalin is, I, I've been off it for five years and I'm a much better, more creative, more focused and it's a brilliance. I believe ADHD is, is a gift, but it's also a, a curse. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'd love to be able to sort of draw myself into that meditative, uh, mindful sense, but I just can't seem to do it. I mean, what can... What can you do? There is nothing. I mean, you just literally learn to watch what goes on your mind. But when it gets too hectic, you learn to pull it to a sense. But if you can't take it, the idea is not to be cruel to yourself. You know, I mean, I'm watching a storm, then I pull it to an anchor. And that exercise alone buffs up that part of your brain that pulls you to a sense mm. faster. I mean, I, I'm not explaining it well. No, you are. What do you mean, sorry, what do you mean by the kind of the analogy of the anchor and the storm? Is that when your thoughts get hazy and... No, no, thoughts are thoughts, okay? They're just nuts. Yeah. But anytime you're focused on a sense, sound, sight, mm. taste, touch, smell, when you do that, you can't be sensing something 
and thinking at the same time. So you have a moment where the cortisol can come down. If you're eating something and you're really focused on the taste, the thoughts get quieter. Then the thoughts get louder. You eat the, you know, go back to the taste. If you're drinking coffee, watch the thoughts, bring it back. That's like going to a gym and doing right. a sit-up, okay? Gradually, gradually, like your arm gets stronger, you get the six-pack, it becomes easier to not let your mind wander mm -hmm. so much. People still have crazy thoughts, but they have a different relationship with them. You go, oh, that's just the crazy soundtrack, rather than, Jesus Christ, I really am crazy. Yeah. You know, they have people who hear voices, and they do mindfulness, and they go, yeah, I still have the voices, but they're kind of interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, they don't burn you so much. But if it's not for you, don't do it. We actually had to um, reschedule our, yeah. our interview of you because I had uh, one of those, I have this panic attacks where my fingers start trembling and it just starts kind of, it gets bigger and bigger until my whole body kind of shakes and then I'm just like in a zone for about an hour and a half kind of thing. And I've been having them like more and more over the year, but I've found it really hard then to use that kind of grounding I know what you're getting at and I just find it really hard to kind of put it into practice when you're in those kind of frenzied panic attacks. Yeah. But you know, you'll need, like if you go to the gym, somebody has to help you yeah. in the beginning. Go listen to Headspace yeah. is good. You know, don't listen to the bullshit ones, but my professor, Mark Williams, Headspace is good. You know, get the big boys and listen to them. Don't do it on your own. You'll go yeah. nuts. I had to go to Oxford. <laughs> you know, don't sit there and go, oh, now I'm going to listen to my thoughts and now I'm going to breathe. You can't do that. you got to go to class. It works for me. It doesn't work for everybody. But, you know, Oxford weren't offering witchcraft, so I thought maybe there's something to it. <laughs> Would that be the first choice? God, I'd be up for yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, but they aren't teaching it, so. <laughs> so you've, you've written a lot about the impact of social media on mental health. And we've, we're, our, our podcast is kind of based around all these, these DMs that people send you, these strangers kind of sending... Uh, unsolicited pictures of their penises, etc. How do you think social media has affected mental health? I think that, I, I, you know, I don't know completely. I'm, that's not my area of expertise. But I think when you compare yourself to half the globe, you know, because before you just knew what the neighborhood was up mm. to. But now that you see pictures of somebody, some Swedish model halfway around the world or whatever, or some rich guy with his yacht, it's shoved in your face what you don't have. And so that stokes up envy, and envy isn't really good for mm. our health. What's your opinion on these these people kind of over-sexualizing? See, I've had experience of being sent on my Instagram page a message from a man asking whether I was uh, available to escort, for example. There's a lot of uh, people can send messages to anyone now through these kind of social media apps. Do you think that that must have such an effect on people's mental health when you're getting when you're a 14 year old girl for example and you've got an old guy kind of messaging like sexual uh, innuendos and pictures of their dick and stuff like what do you have a, a kind of any thoughts on that well what do you well, think yeah. <laughs> what do you think i'm going to say yeah that's really good for your health i think it's great show them what the other half know. is like yeah it's really interesting. I was watching a, a teen drama thing called, oh God, I can't remember what it was called, but it was it was sort of showcasing how we, as the older generation, look at this. And actually it's used for currency within a lot of young groups of, of children, and, and which is awful. I mean, it's absolutely horrific. And obviously we know better because we're older and more experienced, but these kids are getting really frustrated with how their parents get involved and like make them lose their currency at school because they're not able to to be the ones sending the, the sexy pics to each other, which is, <laughs> mm. 
extraordinarily messed up. Yeah, I wouldn't know what to do. That's a dilemma. I wouldn't know what to do. You know, we're caught between two worlds. Like, kids need freedom, yeah. but they also have to have boundaries. So, you know, Entirely. they need both, yeah. Do you ever get people sliding into your DMs? Into my what? <laughs> I love that. Um, do you ever find people sliding into your social media channels, like asking private questions? No, and if you go unfrazzled, you can't. Right. It's locked out. Yeah. So no dick pics or anything no like that? No dick pics, see? <laughs> still, still no, still nothing. This, oh, this Day might change it all for you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. A whole new world. Trust me, Ruby, you're not missing out on that. Okay. Yeah, half half the ones who do send them are really not worth looking at. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Ruby, just basically back to kind of the sex element of everything. Um, what was your understanding of sex growing up? Because you did speak about it in a book. Because I read a few interviews as well that you did around it. Oh, in How Do You Want Me? I remember. But well, that's yeah. my book. I'm just plugging <laughs> it. I rubbed my Barbie together with I Ken. I did that too! Ken Dahl. Yeah. And <laughs> thought that was sex. Too, yeah. That I was used sex. to tie them up it with each other. I tied my turtles together thinking they were going on a date and killed them both. <laughs> That's in my book. Oh, can I just mention my other one, the other book? Of course. Do you mind? Yeah, of course. Please my do. other book, which is my primo, primo book called And Now for the Good News, To the Future with Love. That's my great book. What's the synopsis on, all, on this then? For two years before all this, I went around the world looking for who's doing the stuff that's going to make the world unbelievable, mm. you know, like the green shoots. I don't mean some hippie communes. I mean people reinventing capitalism and education, what they're doing in Finland and how business is going to change, you know, where it's not so much like the boss on top, mm. but, um, mm. you know, it's fairer, it's better. And then communities, how people are forming these neighborhoods and uh, places in cities where there is a sense of community, except it's really beautiful. I mean, this isn't alternative. Some of them are gorgeous and some of them are in Africa. There's about 10,000. They're called eco-villages. Mm -hmm. I'm moving to one. Are you? What, whereabouts? Oh, one in America called Ithaca. I'm not going to move there right. forever, but that's where I was going. So what happens <laughs> to these eco-villages? Well, people have jobs. They're professors and they have startups, but they have like communal dinners mm -hmm. twice a week if you want. And um, it's zero emissions, mm. by the way. And you can have that community or not. You know, you have privacy or you don't. And I really like mingling with all yeah. generations. People are very cool there. We have to change, uh, you know, how we live. We have to change. There's a chapter on health. I can really, I'm good at distilling the bullshit from what's really interesting. And that, I think I did it in this book. Not, you know, it's not things 100%, but I'd use it as a guide for what to do next. <laughs> it's an absolute honor to be able to talk to you, Ruby, and very excited for both of those books. Thank you, and thanks for letting me plug them. <laughs> If today's podcast has brought to light any issues with your mental health or you'd like to speak to somebody, please get in contact with the Samaritans. Their number is 116123. Thank you for listening to our Spotify original podcast, Sex Lies and DM Slides. Please follow us on Spotify and tell all your mates about it if you enjoyed it. And if you have any weird and wonderful Sex Lies and DM Slides stories of your own, do slide into our DMs at Sydney Lima and at Gizzy Erskine. No dick pics, please. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sex Lies DM Slides. This Spotify original podcast is a Hayden Prowse production edited by Matt and Scott at Podmonkey with music by Free Seed Films. Our executive producers at Spotify are Rachel Simpson and Alexandra Aidey. 